This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome everybody back to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. I'm David Merrill. We'll have to excuse Patrick Edwards today. He is traveling on the road and I am home between hunts for a momentary uh, break in time. Actually was out trying to fill an elk tag this morning and was rather unsuccessful at filling a tag, but had a great morning anyways. Fall is in the air, guys. It's definitely time to get your gear, get out of the woods and go enjoy it, whether you're fishing, hunting, hiking or backpacking. I've asked a former guest and another guest to uh, come join us today. I've got Mr. Mike Kentner with me. Hello, Mike. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, we were uh, out looking for a few elk this morning and hiking around and I uh, twisted his arm and said, let's talk about what's in Mike's backpack. As you guys know, I like to I like to go hunting and over the years, gear has changed dramatically from when I first started in the mid nineties and certainly from when you first started, right? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the early days we carried a fanny pack. Nobody carried a backpack. Nobody had a, had the idea. Everly stock came out with, I think to coin the phrase, go in light, come out heavy to be able to pack out when you went in the early days. We never did that. It's all kind of a newer concept in my world anyway. And I started in the scouting industry doing 50 milers and that kind of stuff. So I had a pretty good grasp on what you shouldn't, what weight should be, on how to navigate through the mountains. I had some orienteering, some compass, some basic survival under my belt, some first aid and some safety. But you have to put all that together and then you've got to start putting your backpack together. And there is so many options now compared to when I first bought a $10 book bag from Walmart and put a few things in it and went hiking around saying, man, this, and when we harvested stuff for the most part, I threw a quarter on my shoulder and went hiking down the trail or I went and got horses or a dirt bike or a quad or a four wheeler. But for the most part, Western style stuff, it was, I, I remember getting one of the very first real hunting backpacks I got was a, it was a fanny pack style. Yeah, we st- that's all we all started with back then. We carried just the basic essentials, maybe something to light a fire with, stuff to take care of your game if you put something down. And then if you shot anything, you walked all the way back to Camp Empty, changed out for a metal frame, and went back in for your meat. Yes. And those metal frames have pretty much gone the wayside. A few guys still have them. There's some companies making some really cool ones now. And what you mean by metal is an external, just a frame pack, no bag attached, nothing. It had a load shelf on it. You set the shelf on tied. Most of the time they didn't even have straps. You had to use paracord or some kind of cord to tie your meat onto the pack. Now backpacks have obviously evolved. The idea of backpack hunting has evolved. And we're discussing a little bit today, you know, when I'm going on an expedition style Everest climb style hunt, I'm taking a completely different kit than I am day hunting elk from the truck. Right. I, I, everything down to, I may use the same frame, the same base frame, but my bag load will be different. I use a very small bag for my day hunts. Like today, I use a 2,800 inch bag for my day hunts and you go over a 6,000 for a long hunt if you're going in for five or six days or more. Now, day hunting, what is your backpack going to weigh versus 
And the, the difference between a four-day hunt and a 10-day hunt, you only have food difference. You've got the same spotting scope, the same shelter, the same clothes. For this kind of discussion a little bit, we're basically going to talk day hunt or multi-day. Now, if you're talking four day or 10 day, the, the only difference there is you're adding six extra days of food, right. realistically. Same. If I'm only going two nights, then I might do something different. But if I'm going for four to five nights, I'm doing the same thing I would be doing if I'm doing 10 to 12 nights. Yeah. As far as your overnight gear is still it's pretty much the same. Yeah. So that leads me to this first question is, and I used to, the first year or two elk hunting here in Wyoming, I took my 7,000 cubic inch bag, just compressed it all the way down, ran it empty and hunted with that. But it stuck up so much higher than my head. Every time I duck under something, I'm getting hung up. So I switched to a 1850 Icon Pro from QU years ago. I'm now running the Striker XL from Kafaru. That's my day bag in its inch. And then I throw a Sherman pocket and a guide lid and a Claymore. So now I'm like 3,000 cubic inch, but... I don't have that completely full, and we discussed this. How full do you run your 2800 in day hunt mode? My day in day hunt mode is less than half full of what I pack. And then I have plenty of room for jackets, clothing, depending on the weather, any of that kind of stuff I'm going to have in it. But my base bag with my everything to take care of game and everything is less than halfway full. So some of the things that are in mind that I can think of is I always have a small first aid kit, right? Nicks, cuts, scrapes, burns, some aspirin. And then I have a kill kit usually involves, I actually really like to use rubber gloves. I I grew up not doing it, but when you're doing multi-day, multi-hunt, multi-tags, it's really nice to have a pair of rubber gloves to keep a little bit cleaner while you're processing, but you definitely need those game bags. I run six game bags. How many do you run? Usually five. I keep five in there for elk and big stuff. It's always five. And the reason, guys, why I'm running more than four quarter bags is, well, you've got neck meat, back straps, tenderloins. I like to keep those two separate. And what I've found is when we're doing either llamas or horses, it's really easy. Even if we're backpacking and we've got to hang the meat away from bears, I like to have all four of those quarters in their own bag. And then I need two more for the rest of the stuff. And sometimes I even like to grab another bag to put capes in. Yeah, it's nice to have one for your cape if you're in the backcountry and you think you're going to have an animal mounted. It's nice to have a cape, a bag for your cape go as well. So I usually carry, like, when I shot my bull this year, I had six bags in me with me at the time. So I have my five, I primarily put meat in, and then I had one backup one for the cape to bag it in. So but you need a good quality bags and quite a few of them. I typically don't pack water filtration in day hunt mode. Sometimes I, I like to run an algae and a bladder bag, and I just fill that up in the morning. And typically, that's four liters of water. I can pretty much make it through a day on that much water. Yeah, I'm starting out a little heavier, but I don't have to stop and pump during the day. So do you? what do you do for water in typical day hunt mode? I run bladder bags, two-liter bladder bags. And so I usually run either one and a one and a half a one liter and a two liter or two two liter bags so i'm running three to four liters and but i do carry the small sawyer water filtration pretty much everywhere weighs under four ounces does about a pint at a time you got to refill the bag but it is a good way to get some extra water if you need it and there's there is other options i actually use the sawyer as well i've had hand pumps before i've i've 
plugged one of those up in glacial silt in Alaska. And so the Sawyers are a little easier. They're still going to plug. I've had a Gravity MS. I've used tablets. Absolutely don't like using tablets, but you can use tablets. I used to, when I first worked for the Outfitter, there was half a dozen streams. I'd just stop with my Nalgene, fill it up and drank it. And I drank it all summer, all the time like that, year in, year out. Never got sick. But I'm riding in and out on a horse every day. And I'm not really, I was working, I wasn't hunting. And my philosophy has changed in water filtration to the point where I've got three hunts lined up back to back. This week I'm here, next week I'm there, and the following week I'm somewhere else. I get Giardia week one somewhere. My season's pretty well done. Right. I'm going to have to cancel those other two trips because it's, from talking to guys, it's six to ten days of, you're sick. Yeah. You're yeah, really you'll be sick. pretty sick. And it's going to take you out for probably the rest of the year by the time you recover fully from it. Yeah. I pretty much filter all the time. I don't ever drink water straight out of a stream anymore. But I do use that Sawyer system pretty good. I've used it on mountain goat hunt, everything else. It's small. It's compact. It takes a little bit of time, but it works well for me. And I've found that's what's working for me. So not a plug for them by any means, but it's just, I like this compare and contrast of kind of what gear you found and used because I've just come across all this naturally by putting it in my backpack, using it year in and year out. And obviously the beginning of every year, I, I get a folding table in the garage. I pull my backpack out and sometimes my bladder bag may have been left with water in it from last year. I'd highly recommend at the end of the season that you uh, get a little baking soda and drain all the water clean out of your bladder out. bag and clean them out because you'll be much happier. But when you got black mold in your hose, <laughs> you'll think about me. Just talking about back to the basics that you would have in your day hunt backpack. Some of the things we've talked about, we've got first aid, we've got a kill kit, game bags, knives, tag, some gloves is usually what's in mine. I like to have paracord. Depending on where I'm at, I typically tell guys to run 200 feet of paracord. Because if you're trying to hang six bags and in grizzly country, it needs to be an honest 12 feet off the ground to the right. bottom of the bag when it takes it really does take two guys to pull a 72 pound elk quarter with all that rope friction over a log it's just if you throw it over a branch it's now i've done it before where i pull down with one hand and push up with a stick on the quarter on the other one and i can inch it up there but it is a monumental task just to get an elk hung high enough in a tree that you can leave and then go get horses and we discussed that today as far as if you are hunting in bear country you definitely need to be be mentally and physically prepared when you put an elk on the ground. And having that backup plan of who's on the short list to either call to come in with pack frames or do you have horses or where's the nearest road. And so th that leads into kind of navigation a little bit. What are you packing navigation-wise, Onyx? I run Onyx on my phone. And I used to carry a GPS, carried a GPS plus Onyx on my phone for years. And I finally just put the GPS away and went with Onyx because it's Zachary works. I mean, there's not no shortage of technology in our phones anymore and they work well for it. I used to print out paper maps and that was really bad. I, we'd put them, I'd put them in a Ziploc baggie, but even they'd get wet and right. you could go to certain sporting goods stores and print waterproof maps for a lot of money. And I, there was a couple of times I did print a waterproof map of an area I was going to. This is pre-onyx and pre-gps commercially right military had it but we didn't have it in the early 2000s i can remember somebody getting the first kind of 2d black and white garmin 
I think my dad got one and I looked at that and I was like, yeah, that, that, that seemed like more of a hassle than it was. Yeah. There was no mapping on them. You could just mark a waypoint and it would point you to the waypoint. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And so they were better than a compass if you couldn't use a compass. If you know how to use a compass it was pro- and a map, you were better off than pro- the original GPSs. So that's definitely one thing to keep in mind. And I don't care if you're backpacking, fishing to a lake, you need to have some sort of lay of the terrain, some sort of way to navigate. And I've found the same thing. Onyx is, as long as your phone's working, it's pretty awesome to drop a pin on a lake. And in the middle of the night, I can hit a bench or a saddle. Middle of the morning, it's still headlight dark, and I can go, oh, we want to go left, not right. Trying to do that without knowing the country, you can get really turned around really quick, especially we were in some pretty rugged remote country today. Now, we could see some pretty describable peaks on the skyline that you could keep your bearings pretty well north, south, east, west. But if you're trying to navigate to a spot, I want to hit this meadow or I want to hit this trail or this junction, it's pretty awesome to pull your onyx out and go, oh, we're here. It's there. Mine's just covered with hundreds and hundreds of waypoints I've over the years of wallows and water holes and whatever else happens to be that I mark. And so it helps me when I'm out there just to know where I'm at to go find particular areas. And sometimes for me, same thing is I'll be hiking through an area and a bolo bugle. I'll open up and be like, I'm just at this wallows here. Oh, that bench and that meadow's right up there. Let's go. Let's check the wind. Oh, if we go left, we're going to hit that same bench. I don't always have to just go straight line at stuff. I can sometimes get a little interpretation of the lay of the land and know, hey, there's this ridge that he's working up or something. So kill kit, first aid, map and compass. Do you do anything for communication? I carry a spot with me. Uh, The old spot does SOS. You can, I can actually text out over it as well. I haven't gone to the Garmin yet. I keep waiting for the cell phone technology to catch up, which is coming rapidly, I believe. That's what I use. I carry it with me. I don't even have it on most of the time unless I need it. I got left in Alaska in 2000, 2011 by a pilot for three days. And I didn't have, we, we had planned, I didn't have the sat phone. At base camp, we had the sat phone. He split our group into two. I was on the first flight. He was supposed to come that evening with the second flight. It never showed up. I was like, oh, well, he'll come in the morning. It never came, never came. That was that was a little bit of a, a troublesome time, you know, having no communication, 70 miles away from anywhere. So when I came home, I got a NOAA personal locator beacon. And since the technology's gotten a lot better, I now have a Garmin InReach, the Mini 2, that it Bluetooths to my phone. And so now we've discussed one piece of I'm using my phone for communication. Now, the little Garmin Mini inReach still has the SOS mode. Right. And you can still text off of it, but it's only got two buttons. So it's pretty, pretty archaic to try and text message. You could set some presets, but I just Bluetooth it to my phone and I can pretty much text back and forth with any contacts in my phone. So now with that said, I now pack a very small solar power battery backup because I'm using my phone with Onyx and I'm using my phone with Garmin inReach and I want to be able to recharge both my inReach and my phone. So with that small battery backup without the solar, I get two recharges for each. And then the solar, it maintains itself. I wouldn't say that, oh, you could go on a two week trip and drain everything, charge everything. And then it, now it'll pretty much be dead when you get home. But if you can get some sun, you can get some recharging done. So I definitely carry a backup battery for my phone that recharges it several times. And if I'm going to be on a longer trip, then I have a cellular or a 
solar recharger for it. You got to have something to recharge it. In the old days, we carried batteries, pocket full of batteries. So you're still carrying some type of recharger for your device. So that's something to think about while you guys are out there. It's something I carried. I didn't carry the recharger today just because we were on a one-day hunt and we were sub three miles from the truck, right? That was always, I, I right. know where the truck is. We'll go that way. But uh, definitely, if we were doing an overnighter, I would have had the recharger with my phone. So that starts, we're, we're getting into some stuff that's weight, you know, for sure. I'm not going to leave the kill kit. I'm not going to leave the knife. I'm going to have the fire starter. I'm going to have the first aid. Shelter is where I start to save some weight. What do you do for shelter from the perspective of what you take on just day hunt mode to what you take overnight mode? Day hunt mode, I just pack basically the clothes that I am going to wear that would get me through a night. I make sure I have enough warm enough clothes to get me through a night. And I always have something to start fire with that I've used before. I tell people that all the time. You can go buy all the best fire starter stuff in the world, but if you don't know how to use a ferro rod, they do you no good to start a fire the first time when you're in a panic in the middle of the night. So if whatever you're going to use is fire starter, make sure you have used it before and start a fire with it. 100%. That's that's great advice because I've had... I, I am a big fan of uh, gasoline and Bic lighters for <laughs> yeah. sure, but I, I've used other methods and there's, there's all sorts of stuff. Back in the day, I packed a film canister, cotton balls and a little lighter fluid. It was, you can't even get those canisters anymore, but one would have elk piss and cotton balls and one would have lighter <laughs> fluid and cotton balls. And you didn't want to mix the two up and open the wrong one at the wrong time. And what was the elk piss for? I'd open that out and throw some cotton balls when we got into a calling situation to put some scent in the air in case the wind swirled. But I do similar for shelter day hunt mode. I typically have insulation puffy layer for bottom and top. I've got two or three light thin shirts I wear, like a short sleeve, a long sleeve, an insulated jacket, and then I have a raincoat and rain pant, and that's it, right? So I have three layers for the bottom and four to five layers for the top, but the top two are thin light shirts, right? And it definitely makes a difference on the time of year. If I'm going out mid-September on a desert hunt, it's going to be a lot different than if I'm going out October, November, looking for late mule deer or something in the high country, so... Certainly. What I'm going to be prepared with is a lot different depending on what weather could be coming in. Now, I depending on, again, if we were talking, we're going out Arizona in, in September for deer, elk, or even Casper, Wyoming for antelope. I'm not going to pack the tarp. I'm probably not going to pack a bunch of the puffy stuff. But if I'm in the mountains, anywhere in the mountains where you could have a thunderstorm rollover that turns to snow, I really like to have a four foot by six foot it's a ground cloth for a tent. It's ultra lightweight para- parachute material, right. but it's waterproof and it's got guys on all four corners. I can use a hiking pole and make a pretty quick A-frame shelter. I wouldn't call it a tent. It's a shelter. But it's enough that you can put all your puffy gear, your rain gear on. And if you put it in the right spot, you could lay down for the night, keep some weather off you. You're not going to be comfortable. You're going to be missing your sleeping bag. You're not going to sleep well. I guarantee you. I've done it. But... A place just to get out of the rain and if you can get a fire going is great, right? Now, one thing to look at that I've found is dead pine needles are always a great accessory to any fire starter you've got, right? If you look under in the canopy somewhere, you'll find a branch with a few dead dry needles, dry, dry needles. limbs. Yeah. 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 You look up for them instead on the ground. The stuff on the ground tends to stay moist. The stuff on the, in the, the still left in the tree is dry. You know, a lot of it's the dead limbs and easy to, far, easy to burn, make good tinder. 
And what I like to do is if we are going to have a fire, and I rarely do, but for whatever reason, we're going to have a fire. I like to start looking for that dead stuff five or 10 minutes before we're going to stop hiking and it's, hey, we need a fire. It's, hey, we might need a fire. I'm going to start looking for something that might make right. good tinder. And it can be raining hard. It can be snowing. If you find the right tree, think of a big cedar tree, or it can even be, could be any kind of conifer deciduous tree. But if it's got, if you get in a little bit more heavy coverage, you can find something to help assist start your fire. And if you get a pretty good five-gallon bucket full of little dry branches and twigs and then pull your fire starter out and ignite that, definitely, if you haven't practiced starting a fire, (laughs) go be a pyro for a little bit and learn some things to definitely do and not do. So we've covered the communication, right? First aid is we could probably go for two hours just on what is necessary, what's not necessary. I would definitely have a first aid kit of some kind for sure. I think having... Stuff available for first aid and knowing how to use it's important. Some of the commercial first aid kits that are out there for backpacking have a lot of wasted gear in them, band-aids and little things that aren't going to do you a whole lot of good. The they, tweezers are yeah. almost always junk. You can't yeah. even pull a sliver um, out with them. But I carry individual items. Mainly, I carry medical tape, a little bit of cotton balls, and then I do carry quick clot that you can buy on Amazon or wherever. And quick clot will stop a major bleed pretty quick if you get a big cut that you really have to worry about. And enough stuff to put uh, a decent dressing on. I've stabbed myself in the leg once really good <laughs> in the way back in the middle of nowhere. And it's nice to have something to create a little bit of a pressure dressing if available. But a good roll of medical tape is can be wonders and weighs an ounce or two. So we've gone over the day hunt stuff as far as shelter, maybe a lightweight tarp or a poncho, the space blankets, we call them the space joke because (laughs) they are, they aren't, but they are. And you read the label on one and you're like, oh, this is amazing. When you actually get one out and try and use it, yeah, you're not going to sleep in one. It, it's like rolling yourself up in tinfoil. And now, as far as heat retention and waterproofness, they, they are functional. Yeah. the They do make some pretty good bivvies out there right now that are really small and light that are basically like a bivvy sack. You crawl in it. It doesn't have a lot of insulation, but it will keep you out of the elements, keep the winds off you. And they make some of those that are pretty lightweight and good shelters to carry if you really think you need a shelter. And so that leads me to... When you're going on a multi-trip, what are you doing different for clothes and shelter than for day hunt mode? Most multi-trips, I basically bring the clothes on my back, especially with the advent of actual hunting gear, clothing, since Sitka, QU, all the gear came out that that will withstand more non-cotton, synthetic materials, merino wool. I pretty much go with the clothes on my back. I'm not going to pack a whole bunch of extra weight other than my layering system for from nighttime to daytime. If it's cold, I'll sleep in my clothes to add more layers so I don't have to have as heavy of a bag. I usually carry a 30-degree bag with me that's fairly lightweight. I like synthetic because I don't like down because if down gets wet, you're done. Synthetic bags will dry faster, but you're going to carry eight, eight ounces to a pound more weight for a synthetic bag. So you give and take there. They will dry faster. They'll stay, keep you warmer when they're wet. Once down's wet, it's done for. So I have one of each bag and I will say that the rating on the bag, when it says zero degree bag or it says 32 degree bag or it says hundred degree bag, that means that you will not freeze to death. It didn't, doesn't mean you'll be comfortable. Okay. So I have a synthetic and a down bag and I'll tell you, there's times I take the down like on a doll sheep hunt in Alaska, I'm taking the down, right? Now, I spent 90 some hours in a tent in snow and rain and had a water mattress under my tent. 
I would get up every morning and stuff my sleeping bag in a trash bag in its stuff sack, right? Why? Because when we're hiking around, I do not want that bag to get wet because it's got zero insulation factor when it's wet. And so if you're going on, and like when we went to Kodiak, I knew it was going to be wet and cold. I took the synthetic bag. Now my synthetic bag is a 20 degree. My down is a zero degree and they're similar weight actually. Yeah. But there is a big difference between crawling in a zero degree and a 20 degree baggage. I do the same thing as I actually have a down pant and jacket that compress. And that is my insulation layer. That really only comes out when we're sitting glassing spotting because you got to be I can't hike very far in down pants with regular hunting pants and rain pants on before I'm sweating. That is pretty much my stationary stuff. But I'll tell you, when we were on that last goat hunt on Kodiak, I was soaked top to bottom. There was no staying dry on that island. There's no, I don't care who makes what level of what grain gear, you're not staying dry. It's, you're hiking uphill in 90% humidity in a rainstorm. It's just you're going to be wet. Yeah. Some places you just wet and you, you need to make sure you're planning for that type of weather as far as rain gear and things. I almost always carry a lightweight rain jacket with me. That way, if we get into weather, I can put it on and stay dry. You don't need the rain pants. Yeah. I don't always carry the pants, especially in Wyoming. I don't carry the pants because most of the time I'm going to weather a 20 minute to an hour thunderstorm and I'm just going to hunker you up have under a tree. I have the jacket to keep me, keeps the breeze off you, keeps the wet off your upper half makes it a lot more bearable when it gets bad. And the same thing when I do, but overnight hunts or multi-day backpack, just going to use basically bring a lightweight rain jacket around here. And it would vary depending on where you go greatly. You got to pay attention to what the prevailing weather is in different areas. I was pretty shocked the first time I seen somebody through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail or the Central Divide Trail, the CTC Trail here, right? And the PCT those guys were hiking through in with 25 pound backpacks and they were basically had a light jacket and a bivy sack. They were sleeping in no tent, no pad, and they've pre-mailed themselves food, but they're really sneaking through the weather, right? They're doing something a little different than setting a backpack up for hunting is they're done hiking that trail by now, right? They're hitting Canada September 1st and they're done, right? So they might hit a June or July freak thunderstorm for a day, but for the most part, they're going to be 50 to 70 degrees, not here in Wyoming, any day, any afternoon, we could go from 80 degrees in the morning to 32 in the evening and snowing. And even just during the day, depending on what you're doing, if I'm sitting on a knob at 10,000 feet glassing for deer all day, it can be cold, miserably cold. cold, windy, cold, rainstorms come through, snow. But if I'm chasing bugling bulls all day, the amount of clothes you're going to wear or require during the day part is going to be significantly different. You could be 2,000 feet down the hill from where I am if I'm sitting there glassing deer and you're down there chasing elk. If you're in the heavy timber and that same storm rolls through, yeah, there's a little bit of stuff in the top of the trees, but you're moving and you throw your rain jacket on, you don't care. Me sitting on that ridge behind optics, I need heavyweight gloves, I need a heavyweight jacket, I'm going to want my puffy pants. I'm going to, and what I really like about the puffy pants I have, they have full side zips. And I, I never thought this was an issue until it is amazing to be able to, you stop, you get cold. My rain pants and my puffy pants have full side zips. So I don't have to take my boots off to go from just my hunting pants. I can put my 
puffy pants on and then put my rain pants on. Sit there for 15, 20 minutes, warm up, stand up, unzip both the puffy pant, the rain pant, put them back in my backpack and away I go, which is it's pretty cool. The next evolution is I'm going to get Long John that are full zip. Zip so, full zip so you can zip them off and on. You and I both stopped this morning hiking at the same spot. And you're like, hey, I got a layer. I got to change a layer. And I said, same, I'm taking a layer <laughs> off, right? We, it was funny to me. It was like, no, we both stopped. We're taking a break. Man, I'm getting warm. I need to. But first thing this morning, I was cold enough. I was almost needing another jacket. Yeah, it, it was, was chilly this morning. It yeah. was chilly. So that's one thing to, to think about is, yeah, you can look at the weather and on your hunt of where you're going and it says, oh, average of this temperature. When you're in the mountains on the shady side and then a thunderstorm rolls through, it's going to be a little different. Overpacking clothes is probably worse than underpacking. Yeah, you want to think about the quality of your layers and what you have. If you put a whole bunch of clothing in and you're packing a lot of weight, you're not probably not going to wear them. And with the good clothing that's out today, you don't need multiple pairs of clothing. I usually run, if I'm going to be gone out for several days, I'll bring a couple extra pairs of Merino socks and trade them out during the day and let them like air out. But with the Merino socks, I don't even have to change socks every single day like I used to. They air out fine and are fine to wear again the next day. So I usually just swap back and forth one day, one pair back and forth. And that's the same thing on multi-day trips. I'm... I take one extra pair of darn tough socks. Absolutely love my darn tough socks. I don't know who else is lifetime warranting a pair of socks. I don't know, but I haven't worn a pair out yet and I haven't lost any yet, but I keep buying more. I don't know why, but I'll take two pair of darn toughs just so I can put a fresh pair, quote unquote, a fresh right. pair on day three or four. Right. And same thing. I'll take one extra pair of underwear. But other than that, I'm in the same clothes getting it after it obviously your clothes these new clothes are so much better than when i first started it was surplus military wool yeah you either had wool or cotton and both were heavy when they're wet cold when they're wet yes for sure so it's it's definitely i had walmart cotton for a while i definitely had some wool stuff that was surplus military even the gators i had were zero breathability and they were almost pvc rubberized when i finally did get my first pair of gators and they ripped so bad i remember retying them together with paracord and finally throwing them away and i was wearing boots that had holes in them for sure i I think one of my first hunts i was in steel toe brahma boots that had a hole in the side of them so that's the boots i owned it's what i had we just went with what we had right Right. and that's what you did i mean that's all there was there wasn't a lot of hunting specific gear out there in the in the 80s and 90s, when I grew up, there wasn't a lot of hunting-specific gear. It was just getting started, and the hunting industry was just getting into a lot of that stuff. And so that brings me to camo pattern is there's a lot of animals that have been harvested in flannel, red and black plaid flannel, right? And this comes from comes from wiser, older men than, than you and me, right? Fred Bear. Sit still and, and, and be quiet. Absolutely. That's the best camos. If you want to get on there and argue that, oh, Sitka's better than QU, that's better than First Light, that's better than Forlo, that's better than King's Camel, that's better. I, I'm not going to continue, guys. Some of the materials the camos are made out of and some of the pockets are pretty cool. Solids are just fine. And I learned that a long time ago. Solids for the guide and camo for the hunter. Yeah, I've pretty much, I think my last three, three or four bulls were all shot with solid shirts on. I started out with camo. It just got down to my merino by the time I shot him, and that was in just solids. That's there's a little bit different if you're hunting turkey. It's yeah. a little bit different if you're hunting whitetail, right? It's a little bit different 
when you're hunting elk versus mule deer on on a rifle mule deer hunt you really don't need any camo right trying to spot and stock on a desert muley or i might even try and slip in here shortly on a mountain muley skyline is a bad deal i don't care what you're wearing if you're skyline <laughs> they're going to pick up some movement is there one camo pattern that's better than the others i'm not going to say so is there one, some material that's better than the other yeah uh, certainly camo i'm not too worried about the pattern but what material it's made out of what stretch it has this new stuff is it's pretty awesome on the film kodiak last year I would show up at the tent completely soaking wet, head to toe, pouring water out of my boots. There's just no way to stay dry. I would pull out my puffy stuff, get in my sleeping bag, put that wet stuff on top of me. And by morning, everything but the knee pads in my pants were dry and my boots were always wet. But it's there's no real way to dry boots out nope. once they get wet. That's, that is the advantage to back in the day. I can remember packing two sets of camo because... If you went out in the morning and got wet with cotton pants on, you hung for days. Up. Yeah. You put new pants on. Yeah, if it wasn't sunny and dry out, you it took two days to dry them. You just didn't dry them. And now with the new the synthetics out, you, I can get wet at daylight and by ten in the morning, I'm completely dry. In an hour, I'm dry with merino or synthetics. It doesn't stay wet at all, and you don't hold weight in them like the old cotton stuff did. Yeah, that, and that's a huge advantage. To weight, probably the heaviest thing in the backpack is optics. And there's going to be a pretty big discrepancy on optics and what's the right path for what you're doing, right? Now, we're specifically talking Western-style backpack hunting. I'm not talking a turkey hunt run and gun back east. I'm not talking sitting for whitetail. I'm talking what are you taking for mule deer, antelope, elk, and how do those three differ, and how does it differ from a day hunt to a multi-day hunt? I don't differ too much day hunt to multi-day hunt as far as what I'm going to carry with me. It's more species specific. Elk hunting, I rarely carry more than just a pair of binos, whatever. I carry 12 by 50s pretty much all the time. I hunt a lot of more open terrain, but I rarely carry a spotter for elk. I do use a spotter occasionally for elk, but usually from my vehicle, locating stuff at far distance, looking miles away. Deer and antelope, I will carry my Vortex spotter quite a bit. I don't have an ultra lightweight one I carry with me. I carry just my regular old Vortex 20 to 60 power spotter and a carbon fiber tripod that's a little bit lighter. Saves me a little weight there. That's what I carried when I hunted mountain goats too. Same thing. You're going to run some weight, but the optics, it's a thing. You just, if you want the optics, you want to be able to see things far away. It's worth every bit of it, but you're going to add a couple extra pounds to your pack. I've got pretty similar stuff. I've got the 20 to 60 Leopold Gold Ring HD, and then I got a carbon fiber tripod. I do have an adapter for a pair of 18 power binos. And when I'm elk hunting, now that stuff, it hardly even goes to camp. If it does, it's a base camper in the truck, right? Now, if we're hunted our, our normal spots out, and we're going to go maybe sit up on a knoll and glass a whole different mountainside and maybe see if some elk are coming out in a different spot. Then I'll take the tripod along and take the uh, spotting scope. The 18 power binos are pretty much specifically high country mule deer, right? I'm going to go or spring bear, right? right? If I'm going on a hunt where it's not a, a calling, it's not even really a spot and stock. It's just a spot and hunt, right? It's we're going to go spot and just try and locate game and then we'll make a hunt. And sometimes, like on a high country mule deer hunt, once I've found that deer, 
I no longer need the spotting scope or the binos, but we'll spend two, three, four days behind a spotting scope and binos from daylight till dark looking for the deer. Right. It's pretty imperative that you have the tripod, the scope. I really like a glassing chair because we're going to, we're going to spend two or three hours hiking pre-daylight to get up to a knoll that gives us the greatest advantage of the country around. And then we're going to sit there and let the deer do the walking for us. Yeah. A lot of times when I go backpack or even day hunts and I'm going to spot a ways away, I'll carry just those little fold up foam sleeping pads and buy them at Walmart. I'll cut one in half and then put that on my pack just to sit on. Or if you're going to take an afternoon nap, it at least cushions the upper half of your body. It's a little bit better, but you can fold that up, set on it, makes a little cushion. You can spend a lot more time comfortable glassing than setting on the rocks. So I've got one of those basically stadium chairs, the fold flat. They've got the straps on the side, a little bit of padding, but on an elk hunt, that doesn't go with me anywhere. We're, we're covering too much country. We're not we're not stopping long enough. It's not. So some of this gear really is tailored specific. What am I doing? What do I need? Now on a mule deer hunt, if you and I are sitting on the same ridge for 12 hours and I'm, I've got my little glassing chair and you don't even have something to get you insulated off the rocks. When that afternoon snowstorm rolls through or just a thunderstorm or just a, a rain cloud that doesn't even rain, but just blocks the sun, you're going to be sitting there digging out more clothes. And I'm like, what's your problem, right? I'm right. sitting over here in my chair, cozy and a little bit of lumbar support for that duration, trying to glass. The more things you can do to keep your eyeball on the glass, the more, and you know, as well as I do that finding these big bucks, you just get a moment to see them. It, it's not like they're out there for three hours dancing around. It's seconds sometimes of a deer walked across an open shoot. And if you're not looking, he's gone. And that's all you need is, Hey, he's on this mountainside. He's there. He's in, and sometimes if those bucks are still in their summer routine, they're going to be back out in that shoot every day for the next three days if nobody goes in there so that's why you don't want to just go hiking blind for mule deer now elk we're going to grab a bugle tube and we're going to echolocate until we find a one right. that wants to play there's some thoughts on optics you mentioned ultralight spotter versus heavy spotter and basically the difference is you're talking a mid-weight spotter right so instead of a, a 20 to 60 power by 80 objective or they they make them even bigger i've seen swaro up to 105 on the objective size they make some 20 to 40 by 50 or 40 maybe make some some 15 to 30 power spotters and i could foresee like on a mountain goat hunt that's what i packed right where i just at three to five hundred yards i need a little bit more magnification than a 10 power bino will give me but a white goat on a green hillside. I don't yeah. need a, a huge, a huge spotter. You to can be able spot to him for miles away with twelve-hour binoculars. Yeah, I just need something to be able to do a little more field judging. So there is a thought there, and there is a place for those. But for the most part, for what I'm doing glassing wise anymore, I'm glassing with those eighteen-power binos, glassing the whole country, and then I'll find something that I'm not quite sure I can identify with the eighteen powers. And I'll switch over to the spotter and go, oh, that's a rock or a stump or a log or, oh, that is a deer. And then I can do a lot of field judging, especially on mule deer at long distances and go, that's just not. And what am I looking for? I'm looking for a monster mule deer. Haven't found him yet. Killed some really nice mule deer for sure. But it saves you a heck of a lot of walking when you see a four point and you can zoom in and go, oh, he's a 145 inch deer versus, oh, he's a 195 inch deer. Yeah. I don't want to, because some of these basins we're glassing are a full day hike away. So you don't want to go up there to, to verify that 
that isn't the animal right. you want. Right, if you're looking for a specific animal, a specific size animal, the spotter will save you so many miles. But you're talking the tripod's pound and a half, and you're three to four pounds for the glass, so you're five and a half, six pounds. I would ask you, what is your typical day pack weigh? Oh, 18 pounds, somewhere around there. And what is your typical, with food, with water, with shelter, your overnight bag going to weigh? In the 40s, somewhere between 40 and 50. My last, my last pack, uh, backcountry pack, uh, was I was running right about 45 pounds. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's 3x heavier than your day right. bag. And when you come out with half a mountain goat in there, plus your cape and head, it's it's heavy. It's on film with me doing it with the Kafaru. <laughs> it's turned 12. You yeah. know, I really like the Hilleberg tent I just got. It's it's the Nalo 2, so it's actually a two-person tent, supposedly. But just like the sleeping bag rating, when they say zero degrees, they don't mean you're going to be comfortable. You're going to survive at zero. When the tent company says two people, they don't say you're going to be comfortable two people. They say physically it is possible to put two people in there. Yeah, I run a small two-person pack tent that sets up with my trekking poles. And uh, it's supposed to be for two people. But by the time I put my pack and my bow in there to keep them out of the rain, if it rains, that tent's full. <laughs> you can't yeah. roll over it. Yeah. There. And if I'm hunting with someone, my pack and bow's coming in to stay dry before they are. They better have something <laughs> figured out on their own. The only time I could foresee not doing that is uber cold weather. And what I would hyposit is you put your bows and packs in tent A and then two guys climb in tent B. Get a little extra heat. Right. Yeah. If, and if they if got some talking. of the new pack tents, which I don't have. Some of the new teepees with ultralight stoves and things for colder weather that are pretty impressive. I was on Kodiak this spring with my dad and we were in a eight man teepee with a titanium stove and it was no floor. I, I would definitely recommend the floor and the half liner because when you start really pumping the BTUs out of the stove, you're going to put a lot of condensation out of your clothes out of the air onto the tent it's going to con condensate on that tent right and it's just raining in there anyways if you really are going to a teepee having spent more than a night in them definitely a floor and a half liner by the time you get all that the pole the stove you're really no longer backpack weight two guys split it you're still pretty heavy so it depends i will say kodiak a wood stove is a marvelous thing for sure most western united states a two-person dome tent, even if you are slightly wet, excluding late season hunts, right? Especially you're talking September, mid-August for antelope all the way through mid to late October. You don't really need the wood stove and everything most nope. days. you It's comfortable. It's nice. End of October, beginning of November, I would definitely plan on either hunting out of a wall tent style camp. I don't even like the camper. I like the wall tent with the wood stove. Yeah, when it's nasty out, there's nothing better than a big wall tent with wood stove and get the fire rolling in there and stay warm. No, the teepee can definitely be just as comfortable for sure. That teepee, that stove is no bigger than a mailbox. And the only downside I see to that is you got to cut all the logs into about six inch lengths. <laughs> so little saws sit there inside the teepee cutting these. When you got a wall tent, you could just kind of step on the branches and shove it in there and it burns it up. That is part one of a two-part series. Next week, Mike and David dive even deeper into the essentials you should have in your hunting backpack with cool tips and tricks. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. 
You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at ragcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.